Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Ludmers. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. As usual, we start off our show with a roundtable discussion, and to do so, I am joined by my co-hosts, Mildred Lynn McDonald, John Carousella, and Good morning, and Deb Carousella. Hi. And the topic that I'd like to bring up for us to discuss today. Um, Part of the reason is because we're entering into that time of year when people start to think maybe just a little bit more about charity, uh, giving to those less, less fortunate. You know, for the United States, November is a time of our holiday called Thanksgiving. We're thinking about this time of year with we're really in the heart of the fall season, abundance, harvest, etc. But we also start to see much more information and emphasis placed on thinking about people who are less fortunate and in need of things. And then we move into December, where we have winter solstice and Yule and Christmas and different holidays, a lot of that based around giving. And so I saw an article that was talking about uh, an op-ed piece that Peter Buffett had written, and he's the son of Warren Buffett, the billionaire person. And he's also the co-chair of the Novo Foundation, and he had written an op-ed piece that struck me because he's really trying to challenge the traditional way of thinking when it comes to charity and philanthropy in the world, and trying to shift people's way of thinking about and approaching how we give, what we give, and what kind of systems that we put in place in order for that giving to have an impact on the people and places that it's going to. And a couple of things that he said really stood out for me. Um, One, he really kind of emphasized that he feels that philanthropy, especially in the bigger philanthropic world, the, the, the big foundations, the big donors and that kind of thing, that it's really become much more focused on the donor Um, who's giving, how much are they giving, and it seems designed to make the person giving a way for them to feel good about themselves. What that does is it takes the emphasis away of what the giving is for versus it's all about who's giving what. Uh, And I always think about, you know, you see articles about big fundraiser events for things, and What you see is a list of the people who were there. So you find out what celebrities were there. You find out what they were wearing and what food was there and what celebrity chef came in to cook the food and how much money was raised and how much did they have to pay for each person to be there. But what you don't get is very much information about what the actual foundation or cause or thing is that that philanthropy is for. And so that seems to really highlight his emphasis on it seems to be about the donor 
rather than the cause and that the the message of the cause and what is needed gets lost and so he he actually uses a term called philanthropic colonialism and feels that this way of philanthropy that it works now is kind of perpetuating inequality instead of helping to get rid of it because it really just highlights the people who are able to afford to give all of that money and then everybody else that stays at the other level of not being able to do that and is, you know, in need. But he also uses a phrase called, he, well, he thinks that everybody in the philanthropic arena needs to be, and this is his quote, driven to lose their jobs because he wants to see a systematic change around how people with a mission go in and apply what they do, listening to the people that need it and what they need and how they need it, which may be different from how other people or another community may need it. And also to go in and do what you can, do it effectively, and then you've done it so effectively, they no longer need you. So therefore, you're now out of a job. And most people are afraid to approach philanthropy that way. So here I know I'm talking on the big scale of philanthropy, and I'm going to bring it down to the individual level in a minute. But I would just like to hear from you what you think about when you hear terms like charity and philanthropy and what you feel the role of it is and how important or not you feel the donor is in the process and if that causes the purpose and mission of the philanthropy to get lost. I guess I'll jump in. I I'm, am aware of the larger philanthropic arena. Um, I, I don't pay attention to them very much. To me, they are um, huge, large-scale, uh, almost uh, corporate entities, and they have a thing that they're doing, and, and they do provide um, they, they provide a voice for, for change, and they provide a voice for particular <clears throat> causes or whatnot, but I don't really think of them as as being particularly effective, I guess, because I don't think of them as the people that are actually on the ground, the people that are actually out there working with communities and individuals that um, are in need or that have some sort of, of issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, so charity... I have, I guess, I have a tendency to think of charity, uh, philanthropic motivation uh, on a much more individual basis on those things that are on a smaller scale. Because there are uh, groups and organizations that I very happily uh, provide funds to because they are in a position to do things, perhaps in far-flung areas of the world that I personally can't get to but I still want to have an effect on. I still want to provide some sort of, of input to. And so I do that by providing an organization with my funds. And I think many people do that, as well as those individuals that either give through their local communities, give through their local churches and, and religious uh, institutions, people that go to food kitchens or even just stop and put the occasional tuna fish can in the big bin at the grocery store as you walk out the door. Um, for me, those are so much more effective and real than the 
foundations and the Bill and Gates foundations and so forth are, um, I have a tendency to think of them as, as big corporate faceless fronts. You know, what's interesting about um, the big philanthropic organizations is how they got to be so big. And, uh, you know, this, this sort of begs the, the, the broader question of how do we get to the place where there's so much wealth concentrated in such a few number of hands? You know, back in the, back in the old days, the king, a good king, the king and the realm were one. They were married. The king was married to the land. And so there was, a, there was a very intimate relationship between the wealth that was drawn up into the king's hands, into the hands of the sovereign, and the distribution of that wealth back into the community because they were one and the same. There was always a relationship between the wealth and the land. And because the people lived on the land and off the land, there was a relationship between the wealth and the people. Now we have this very abstracted kind of wealth creation engine called the corporation where wealth gets concentrated and very dislocated from connection with the land. So the, the only reason we have these gargantuan philanthropic organizations is because the system that we've allowed to take root creates a drastic disconnection between the wealth and the land and the land and the people. So I think it's really hard for philanthropic organizations, big funds like Bill and Melinda Gates or the Hewlett Packard or, or whatever, to rekindle that connection. And that's one of the reasons why it's, it seems difficult for philanthropic organizations to be perceived as being intimate with the problems that they're trying to solve. Because I don't think they are. I have a different slant on it. Hi, see, I love the topic. And I looked up the word philanthropic or philanthropy. I'm so happy I can pronounce it. <laughs> but it comes from a Greek word, and it means it comes from the love of humanity. And when I was reading what Peter Buffett had to say in his article, We're Not Doing Enough, what I really felt is that he was asking for people not only to bring their money to the table, but to bring their love of humanity to the table, which mm -hmm. means they bring their heart to the table. Mm -hmm. And bringing your heart to the table is very scalable. It can be small or it can be grand. That's what I found for me. That was my takeaway from it. That was the missing link. And then the part about donating, if you're in a position to donate a lot of money and the focus being on how much money I donated or who was there or what they're saying, that's, that doesn't really seem to be of the heart. So to me, there's an opportunity to look at charity or philanthropy under a different lens. And I think that that speaks to something that he also said, um, because he says what he feels needs to happen is that we need to rebuild the system of philanthropy on humanism and that we need idealists and people who envision a different world. Because, in a sense, yeah. the way philanthropy works, they're just trying to maintain a status quo. You know, I give money, and it goes towards this, but that gives me a tax write-off and makes me feel good. And I want to perpetuate that system so that I have a chance to feel good over and over again. But that humanity gets lost because it's not about the people or the communities that it's going to help. It's about the donor. 
and and I think doing it if we're rebuilding it on a system based on humanism or basing it on a human scale, it goes back to what Mildred touched on and what Deb was really talking about because you bring it back down to the human scale. It's not just some faceless check that I put in an envelope and send off someplace. I get to see how it's impacting my community or see the people that that is going to help in some way. But I also think we get too focused on giving in terms of charity, philanthropy means money. And we we miss that we can give by volunteering at the local food bank and giving of our time or giving of our energy rather than it just being giving a thing like a check or a can, but not having that hands-on personal human interaction and experience with it. Yeah, the other thing too, High C, is when you're feeling inundated with requests for contributions, that a good question to ask yourself when you're in that energy is what's motivating me to contribute or not to contribute? Am I, am I feeling guilt? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Am I feeling something from my heart? And I think I'm going to do that myself just to be really clear on what is my motivation or intention. I think your suggestion about really understanding why you feel compelled or not, not necessarily compelled, but motivated to consider donating or giving or being a part of what is being asked of you at that moment is a really good idea. Um, Buckminster Fuller said, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And I think focusing on ways to create conditions that facilitate change is really a really powerful way to to give. Uh, you know, there's there's really there's two kinds of there's two kinds of giving. There's two kinds of philanthropy. One is to stop the bleeding, and the other is to change the conditions that cause the bleeding to happen, or that allowed the bleeding to happen. And I think if if more of us, and I think this is true, right? I think we're ripe for some really serious big change in the in the status quo in so many aspects of life. And it, it really works better if we f- create conditions that facilitate change, that, are, that allow change to be cultivated consciously. And so do I want to give to a charity that is alleviating suffering or do I want to give to a charity or an organization that is facilitating change? The engineer in me wants to create the new systems that will make the need for the healer obsolete in some way. So for me, the, just in my, in my daily perception of what's going on and, and what role I can play, there's those two parts of me. One is, one is let's alleviate some suffering, and the other is let's alleviate the conditions that create suffering. And, you know, first of all, I don't want to necessarily completely dismiss the work and the effect that some of the larger philanthropic foundations and organizations have because they certainly are able to go in on a certain scale that smaller organizations can't and make a huge difference. But (laughs) it can feel like that's so big, there's no way I can ever do something on that level. So to, to kind of move towards closing this conversation as we think about moving into this time of year, when we are at least made much more aware of the appeals for charity and for philanthropy and for giving, how do you feel that on a 
small, personal, individual, local level, we can engage in charitable and philanthropic acts or work in order to make some sort of a difference or, as John was saying, to, to help contribute to making some sort of a change. Well, the day to vote was yesterday, apparently, and I think that's one way to do it. Be really considered and aware of what is out there and what needs to change in your local community, in your greater community, in your country, um, and who are the individuals that will most likely do what you believe is the right thing to do, the, the people that will provide the most support for those things that really affect your neighbors and yourself and the the you know the state next door even yeah i and i think um one way one good way of understanding that is to follow the money now your small contribution to that is as deb said to choose wisely when you vote but i think that also applies by choosing wisely by researching organizations you would like to contribute money to is this charity doing the kind of work I believe in? Are they applying what they're doing in a way that is about trying to bring about change in a significant way, or is it just about alleviating suffering for people on a certain day? And there's nothing wrong with alleviating suffering, but there's a difference between gathering food in order to give people on one day of the year a meal that matches what we're supposed to traditionally have for a holiday. So on Thanksgiving, everybody gets a turkey, you know, kind of thing versus mm -hmm. working to change the system so that they have access to that kind of food throughout all of the year. And so that same kind of um, consideration and research can be applied to looking at who am I giving to or who am I participating with if mm -hmm. I'm going to go and volunteer for someone or that kind of thing. So that it also feels, like Mildred was saying, that it aligns with what my heart is saying and wants to bring about rather than just, I can do this and it gives me something to write off on my taxes at the end of the year. Mildred, did you have anything that you wanted to suggest? Yeah, yeah, I do. I really liked what you said earlier, I see, about bringing more than money to the table because that seems to be my orientation. And when I was listening to, you know, we're only human scale or, or we're small, what came to me was in money we may be small, but in passion, our arms can circle the world. So broadening your philanthropic or charitable donation equation or really looking at it carefully from the point of the heart and driven by passion. So by going through this exercise, and I'm sure our listeners will find the same thing, by having this discussion or conversation with yourself, you may feel that or you may find that you're ready to take the next step whatever that looks like it may have nothing to do with money and i would encourage people to to also not underestimate the the smallest acts of charity can have some of the biggest impacts so as we close this i would challenge you my co-host as well as all of those listening to think about how you can practice philanthropy on a daily basis and how you can, in your own life, find that opportunity each day, each moment, to give someone who seems as if they are in need what it is that they are in need of rather than what you think they should have. 
And that can be as simple as, because I think that charity and philanthropy can go as, as small scale, if you will, as a smile or a hug or opening the door for them when they have bags in their hand. And that's a very small scale act of philanthropy that may have a huge impact because maybe somebody was feeling depressed, but the fact that a stranger smiled at them suddenly snapped them out of that spiral of depression and started to help them feel better through the rest of the day. So that would be my challenge to people listening is every day look for the opportunity to be the change by not thinking that what you have to offer isn't enough when you compare it to some bigger scale of something, but to simply look at what is in need around me and how can I contribute to what is needed in some small way and know that just like the drops of water create the ocean, my small thing will be amplified if everyone is giving a small bit of philanthropy to everyone that they come across who is in need. And it can swell, like you were saying, Mildred, it can swell to embrace the whole world because all of those drops of philanthropy come together. So thank you very much to my co-hosts for being willing to jump into this kind of a conversation today. Um, thank you to Mildred Lynn McDonald and to John Carousella and to Deb Carousella. And I would encourage you to stay tuned because coming up we'll have our astrology update, our Living Well segment. If you'd like to call in for a reading a little later in the show, feel free to do so. 646-716-5510 is the phone number. And we'll also be having a conversation around abundance. So I encourage you to stay tuned. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation, and we'll be right back. Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. Your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. A return to this understanding of the truth of food and the value of food within our lives. Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. 
Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. November, the month of Thanksgiving. And indeed, there is much to be grateful for. Actually, true prayer is Thanksgiving, as is forgiveness. Being grateful for what is, thankful for the life we have, as it is. Hard as that is sometimes. But what is life, other than an opportunity to find freedom and truth via our hard times and via the heart. Find freedom and truth via our hard times and via the heart. For it carries all the information. Challenges are what build character, inner strength, and wisdom to be passed down and shared throughout the ages. It's a tribal community kind of thing. It is living from the heart of life. Living from the heart of life. Rather than the program we have come to call life. So for now, the harvest is done. It's time to dance. 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 It's time to celebrate. Celebrate. It's time to honor the ancestors and the truths. Honor the ancestors and the truths. They went through to find freedom. Truth be told, our history is not the truth of what went down. The crown came to take the land and take it over. Kill the natives, for that is the only way to take over a reality. Destroy the indigenous people for they carry the truth of the land before the takeover. And there is no way to go back and trace the true history, for words are removed and other meanings given. As they say, history is always from the perspective of the victors. And indeed, we lost our way to be sure through all the lies told henceforth. But now is the time of thanksgiving. Time of thanksgiving. And in this time, see that family is the deep gift that it is. It is one that is trying to be destroyed in the name of progress. Without family, all is lost. Without a tribe, we die lonely and afraid, and we live in an, a meaningless, unidentified type of world. It is time to reclaim our tribal community reality. It is time to live off and in harmony with the land and each other. This is the truth of the heart. It is time to honor deeply the heart, which has been misplaced in the fabricated matrix of reality. For if the heart was online, none of what is going down would be so. Love is the truth of all of life, as is the mystery and the awe that go with that mystery. Love is the truth of all of life, as is the mystery and the awe that go with that mystery. And we are that mystery. And we are that mystery. Perhaps there are no explanations for this mystery, and perhaps... There is no need to do so, for living in the awe of it all is the truth of life. Living in the awe of it all is the truth of life. No one, and that is no one, as far as I can find and have found in my experience, at least knows what this is, how it came to be, where it is, how we got here. And time is part of that illusion. Time is what puts us in that located place with a past and a present and a future. So let us gather together in our common humanity. So let us gather together in our common humanity and honor each other for our differences and our similarities. 
for it is these that need to stand out, not behind in the shadows somewhere unnoticed. Truth is, we're all stardust, everything is, and we've got to find our way back to the garden because we're starlight, we're million-year-old carbon. That is from a song by Joni Mitchell. We are all dreamers, so together, let's start to dream the new dream. Let's start to dream the new dream. And let's start to live it. Let's start to live it. Now is the time to start really getting ready to do some inner work as that darkness cometh forth, and for good reason. It is not to be shunned, but dived into. It is rich and delicious, very nourishing to be sure for body, mind, and spirit. For until we change and heal the within, the without will remain the same. This is a fact of life. So as we get ready, look at the world and envision a truthful place for all to be. Envision a truthful place for all to be. For it always was this way until we were, until we were usurped. Start to care deeply. Open the heart. Open the heart. Open the heart and realize that it holds the key to all of life. Indeed, there is much to be thankful for. Come, let us rejoice in our commonness and shared hearts, for the dance of life is a circle, and all are included. No one is left out of the arms of love, for love embraces, holds, and welcomes all into its arms. The circle of life is complete, and there are no sides to life. This must be seen for truth and freedom to dawn. May it be so for all of us and found deeply within the heart that waits in silence for our acknowledgement. Come, let us celebrate the truth and let us celebrate the truth and let us celebrate the truth and not the lies. Let us bring the truth of this love into our families during this holiday season that's beginning now. And let us really begin to feel this and honor this and see that the truth of life and without love Nothing in the world is going to change. And may it be so for all of us. Aho. Aho. Tips for November. Don't forget to drink water. We are all mostly chronically dehydrated anyway. And in the winter, we tend to let go of that perspective and think, oh, it's cold, I'm not working hard, I don't need any water. That's really not the truth of it because water helps uh, the circulation. It helps our bodies hold everything together. It is a defense against the cold. Plants freeze really hard when they don't have water. When you water your garden before a frost, the plants withhold it much better and they suffer much less damage. The same is true for us, as within, so without. As within, so without. It's time to continue with those warming teas and continue with them now until spring, actually. The purpose of the warming teas and these spices and herbs of winter are to take the surface heat from the summer sun and put it deeply into our interior so that we stay warm and dry and functioning properly through the winter months. Always be sure, though, to include some raw foods at each meal if possible, because we still want that live goodness, even in winter. And do not overcook your foods. And warming curries are really wonderful right now. Gingers and cinnamon and cardamom and cloves and nutmeg, all really wonderful for now. Careful with all those sweets and big splurges these next couple of months bring. 
be present with self and know it's about your health and well-being as well as enjoying. Is getting fat and feeling stuffed and not feeling good really a way to honor self and the earth and the holiday of Thanksgiving? Yoga at night is a great way to unwind from the day, and exercise is important to keep up in, in winter as well. Just like water and other things that we do for ourselves, it's very important to keep up on all these things. It, it keeps us from the depression. It keeps us from worrying about the cold. It, it keeps the, the winter blues away. Saunas are lovely too this time of year. If you can find a far infrared sauna, it's really great. Because the, the far infrared sauna is, is one of the most therapeutic healing tools around today. And the thing about far infrared is that it emits a band of light, of radiation, that we don't get much anymore because we're indoors. And it actually penetrates deeper into the cells and it encourages them to, to release their toxins. So it's, it's an incredible tool. And don't forget to drink water while you're in the sauna. It's it's really important because you're sweating all those toxins out and you're putting that clean, cool water back inside. So those are the tips for the month. And now I'd like to share something about our books, books that I've taken up. Um, this, I just thought about starting to look into other ways to do things, some things that we could start thinking about now as we ruminate on things and look deeply and start to want to dream the new dream and give thanks for our new new reality coming to be. So here a couple of books. The Encyclopedia of Country Living by Carla Emery. It's a big, thick book, and it has all kinds of, Wonderful information of how to live in harmony with the land. Another one would be Stories Basic Country Skills, A Practical Guide to Self-Reliance by John and Martha Story. I think that's a really good one. And another one is When Technology Fails by Matthew Stein. So good to have a, a way that we can be self-reliant and take care of ourselves in emergencies and when things happen. And then to help occupy your time, uh, and be creative because that's important too. Basic Candle Making by Eric Elbling and uh, Soap Maker's Companion by Susan Miller Kvetch. Some little projects to keep ourselves busy in those long, dark evenings ahead. So, a couple of quotes I was looking, looking, uh, how little quotes to end with and looked back into some old Thanksgiving sayings. So here's just a couple little quotes. It is literally, it is literally true, true as the as thankless, the say, thankless say, say that they have nothing, to, they be have nothing to be thankful for. He who sits he by who the sits fire by thankless the for, the fire for the fire is just as if he had no fire. Nothing is possessed save an appreciation of which thankfulness is the indispensable ingredient. But a thankful heart hath a continual feast by W.J. Cameron. And then another, to speak gratitude is courteous and pleasant. To enact gratitude is generous and noble. 
But to live gratitude is to touch heaven. Gratitude unlocks the of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a house, and a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. Melody Beattie. And remember, it's only a dream. 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 Only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at linda at prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. Back to the garden. Now we are stardust. We are million year old carbon. We are golden. We're golden. And we call him the devil's bargain. And we have got to get ourselves. You know we have got to get ourselves. You know we have got to get ourselves. Back to the A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact Hi C at tarotbyhic.net. Coming up a little later in the show is your opportunity to receive a reading live here on the air. And coming up next, we'll be having a rumination and conversation about abundance and prosperity, especially during this time of year. That's quite a common theme. And my guest will be Bertita Gravener, a transformational life coach. And I think that you'll be intrigued as well as perhaps challenged by what she has to say and by some of the things that we might be having a conversation about. As you know, I'm High C, and you're listening to Revolution with High C, and we'll be right back. that time of year again 
Here we are in November, and I'm thinking about Thanksgiving, the ripeness of time, one more year on the wane. I'm invited by this season to take stock of what this year has given me, to consider the abundance before me and be grateful. Yet, this year I find I want to explore the scope and range of what abundance actually means to me. So, join me as I go on a riff following the nuance and layers of meaning tucked away in my experience and ready to be harvested. Whenever I want to know about something, I automatically head for the dictionary to check out the word that names it. Wondering about the meaning of abundance is no exception. I discovered the word comes from Latin and contains two parts. Ab, meaning from or from the source, the origin, and undo, meaning from the sea, the rivers, and to rise in waves, surge or to have a wave-like motion, to undulate or to wave. So for me, abundance comes from the source in waves or as a wave. I wonder, is there a flow to abundance? Does it come and go over the course of time? Does my experience of abundance ebb and flow? Christian scripture says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. This comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3. I find all abundance comes from somewhere, from the creative, inexhaustible source. It comes in waves as with each season. In spring season, we have a wave of abundance and renewed life with a profusion of birthing, flowers budding, and seeds sprouting. In the summertime, we have a surge of abundance with growing, with ripening. In autumn and fall, we have abundant fulfillment, a gathering in of ripeness, as with ocean waves of wheat at harvest. In winter, we have a dormant time with its abundance of hibernation, rest, awaiting the promised renewal of nature's cycle. So it is with our life cycles. The cycle of nature mirrors the promise of abundance in our lives. Is it possible for each of us to always live in abundance? Let's take a look at that possibility from the perspective of the age-old question, is the glass half full, half empty, or does it overflow? The traditional answer of an optimist is that it is half full. The traditional answer of a pessimist is, it is half empty. A Zen Buddhist might tell you this story about a cup of tea. Nan In, a Zen master during the Meiji era, that's 1868 to 1912, received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. Nan In served tea. He poured his visitor's cup full and then kept on pouring. The professor watched the overflow until he could no longer restrain himself. It's over full, no more will go in. Like this cup, Nan In said, 
You are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? A rabbi might tell you about the Psalm of David, verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Under the eyes of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup brims over. I have heard it said, your cup is always full. The only question is, with what is it filled? Half may be water, the other half may be air. It is simply a matter of what fills it. So, too, the abundance of each season is filled with its own gift to be savored and enjoyed. I like to experience dipping my cup into the abundance of what is. My rich internal life allows me to make meaning of the drifting of a leaf through the air on a fall day. I like experiencing abundance at all times, recognizing exactly what that gift is at any given moment. I ask myself the question posed by our Buddhist monk, do I need to empty my cup in order to receive? I find that when I am not self-absorbed, when I meet the moment undefended, unfortified, unguarded, and defenseless, there is more room in my life for the gift you offer. As I pour out the abundance from my cup to make room, do I do it so that you can receive? Whenever I purge my house, with a seasonal fall cleanup, I take special care to place all the items I am parting with where they can fill a need. Am I actually giving from my abundance? This question takes me back to the ebb and flow of the undulating waves of abundance dancing in my life. I find it a paradox that in order to fill, I must first empty, and then, when full to overflowing, give. As I empty my cup to receive, I pour out my abundance for others to receive. My empty cup is filled with something new. I have abundance in my life through the act of giving. Curious, don't you think? An excerpt from the prayer of St. Francis is, For it is in giving that we receive. Another example of this paradox is found in the feeding of the multitude, a parable of loaves and fishes from the, Corinthian, from the Christian Bible in the book of John. According to John, Jesus was on a mountain with his disciples when he saw people gathering to listen to him. Jesus asked where they could get food to feed the crowd. They said to him that there wasn't enough for all. They could only gather five barley loaves and two fishes from a boy standing by. Jesus asked the crowd of five thousand to sit down on the grassy hillside. He gave thanks and shared the food amongst those present. Jesus then asked the leftovers be gathered up so that nothing may be lost. All told, they had twelve baskets of food left over. The people wanted to make him king. When he realized this, he withdrew to the mountain again by himself. Surely the miracle here is in the act of giving. The crowd, some say, also began to share what they had with others, and all told there was enough for each 
with an overflowing abundance. Do you find that in giving you find the source of all abundance? When there is room, it will be filled. Nature abhors a vacuum. I find this to be true in my life. In giving, I receive. It is that simple. Giving makes receiving automatic. It is the other half of a natural cycle. Hoarding is not an option. This is from Deepak Chopra, The Book of Secrets. Hoarding disrupts the flow of the universe. The waves of abundance become dammed up. Our interdependence and connectedness is broken. The activity of giving that maintains the integrity of our bodily cells can be seen as a microcosm of our human community. By analogy, so too with us. When I give a hug, I am more connected through the act of giving. Giving is an expression of love. It is an expression of the wave of love I feel for others and a, a generosity of spirit that says I have more than enough I can give. I am told there is a Quaker song that goes, From you I receive, to you I give, together we share, and from this we live. The law of karma can be stated, You get what you give, and what goes around comes around. When I empty, when I give from my abundance, I receive in return. When I am connected to myself, I am connected to love, the endless universal. I am connected to you via the heart. In the chakra system, the heart is recognized as containing the color green. It is the color of healing, balance, tranquility, and serenity. Green brings wholeness to our lives, and it is, it is the color most frequently associated with life. Giving and receiving is limitless, and the green chakra connects you to that endless universal. When I am connected to love, I am connected to my heart. I want to give from my abundance to my neighbor, be she near or far. The tremendous philanthropy of Americans attests to this truth as clearly as the parable of the loaves and fishes. Consider Bill Gates and his virtually single-handed effort to eradicate malaria from the face of the earth. Unlike the university professor thirsting to be filled by knowledge, Pema Chudran advises us, Give up all hope of fruition. Give up all hope. Give up. Give. Deepak Chopra says, Giving is the same as returning to God what is God's. Similar thought comes from the Old Testament, Chronicles 1. So now, our God, we give thanks to you. For who am I and what is my people for us to be able to volunteer offerings like this? Since everything has come from you, we have only given you what you have bestowed in the first place. All this wealth has come from you and all belongs to you. These very words are part of the liturgy of the Episcopalian tradition of Christianity. They are sometimes spoken by oral tradition as the offering of bread and wine is being consecrated for the congregation. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. When I find I give to another, I am in a sense returning it to myself. This is the community aspect of abundance. 
There is a South African word from the Bantu languages, and the word is Ubuntu. That expresses our interconnectedness. It is often translated, I am what I am because of who we all are. Or, I am because we are. Archbishop Desmond Tutu explained Ubuntu in this way in 2008. One of the sayings of our country is Ubuntu, the essence of being human. Ubuntu speaks particularly about the fact that you can exist as a human being in isolation. It speaks about our interconnectedness. You can't be human all by yourself. And when you have this quality, Ubuntu, you are known for your generosity. You are known for your generosity. You are giving from your abundance. You are human. You express yourself in the act of sharing. The source of this is from the wave of abundance that comes from being and moving in the world with the flow of the waves, the tides of abundance that come from returning what we have been given to another. I find the paradox of giving in this. We receive what we need in the act of giving from our abundance. With the ripples and waves and tides of abundance that flow through our lives, we find a certain sense of ease in our everyday existence when we give from our abundance. Our sense of time is altered. We have nothing but the abundant fullness of the moment we are in. When we give from this place of abundance, we never run out. We relax into knowing that all things change, like the seasons, that there is a return, a renewal. The pendulum will swing. There is always a new abundance, a new wave, a new surge of what is. When we step into the flow of what our abundance is, we move through life with an ease and a sufficiency for ourselves and for others. you say is the difference between abundance and prosperity? Prosperity, I think, comes more from a place of, um, of uh, striving, uh, from a reaching for something. Abundance comes more from um, a universal source as opposed to a striving. Uh, prosperity comes from somehow the efforts of our own behalf Somehow it comes from a striving on our part towards something and for something, whereas abundance comes from an internal place that uh, comes from the source of all that is, um, from the act of giving, the giving, the receiving, from the cycle of, of being human, the cycle of being in the world. Whereas prosperity has a sense of coming from a striving and a personal, um, personal effort. How would you recommend that people recognize and live with a sense of abundance? 
I think gratitude is the first place to start, to begin to appreciate and accept what you have in your life, to accept what is, to acknowledge what is, to appreciate what you've been given and know that all you have in some way or another was given to you and it wasn't something that um, was uh, somehow came from a, uh, a grasping or a clutching or a, a reaching but was somehow given and in that giving you receive and in that receiving you have gratitude is the beginning of wisdom and to know and be grateful for what is is the first step in being able to step into your abundance because if you don't know what you have you can't appreciate how full you really are and i think perhaps don't measure what you have in comparison to what you don't have but simply look at what you do have rather than it always being somehow measured against what you don't have. It's a little like yoga, staying on your own mat. You're not in competition. You're not in comparison to others. It is only you and what you have in your own abundance, in your own life, for which you are immensely grateful because you know somehow it was given. And in the process of receiving that, you don't make comparisons, as you say, uh, to how it might be for others. Uh, others don't enter into it in a sense because it's about what is yours and what is yours to be grateful for and what you have is yours and therefore it can't be compared to another. But I often see people minimize what they do have by saying things like, well, yeah, I have a car, but it's not this XYZ kind of car. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly there's no gratitude, nor even an awareness of the abundance they have, that they have that car that they do have. It's measured against, yeah, I might have this, but I don't have this. So that sense of gratitude and even that what they do have can represent abundance is forgotten or lost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the focus on what they don't have rather than what they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would venture to offer uh, to say that one would want to be grounded in what one does have and not in what one doesn't have. Because if you don't have something, you don't have it. And um, and to be grounded in what you have, it's, it's a little like saying, um, why would you want to feel bad about not having something that you don't have when you have what you do have? To be in full acceptance and acknowledge of what you do have and to be grateful. As I said, gratitude is the beginning of wisdom. And the wiser you are, the more you appreciate what it is that you have. And the more you appreciate what you have, you realize there's less room for seeing what you don't have. Because the world is full of things. The world is full of stuff. And having is not necessarily a thing orientation. Yes, you may have a car. It may not be 
a Tesla, but if you were to put in mind that you wanted a Tesla, you might take those steps and make those choices in life that would lead you towards having a Tesla. At the same time, you need to also bear in mind that in terms of having and in terms of happiness with regard to having, it's a cycle of approximately three months that things remain new in your life where you say, oh, oh, I just got this Tesla. I'm driving a Tesla. And then within about three months, you're saying, well, you know, maybe I need something else that's new to make me happy. And it's a cycle of, of fullness that one, it's a little bit like the waves and the coming and going of waves of abundance. It's like it cycles in and it cycles out, but the abundance of having remains with you as kind of like a set constant piece of you knowing that you have what you have and appreciating that. The cycle of, 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 of having, of wanting things you don't have is, I would suggest not the place to start from but to start from what you have and I think that abundance is like happiness in that they're both states of being happiness is not dependent on something external but is a state of being that starts within us and is cultivated by us and within ourselves independent of whatever external circumstances or situations may be there. Mm -hmm. Although many people confuse that. And I think abundance is the same way. I think that abundance is a state of being mm -hmm. and not dependent on our external situation, on how many external things we may have. And yet people confuse both of those things by thinking that if I have something else, if I have something more, then I will be happier or I will really what they're thinking is I will appear more abundant, which we could get into a whole thing about how that's really about ego than it is true abundance mm -hmm. because it says, I want to have this Tesla because it will show to the world that I am successful or that I am this or I am that. Mm -hmm. And that I think is really prosperity versus abundance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that it's something that can be striven for. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and I think that when we can recognize that both happiness and abundance are states of being uh -huh. that come from within us and are cultivated by us from within ourselves, yes. which then radiates out to create a world around us that we see as abundant, mm -hmm. that we see as happy. Mm -hmm then we are in a much better place to then experience the joy of gratitude. Yes. Because we know that we are grateful for what is around us and what is around us is as a result of us mm -hmm. rather than someone or something external to us. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I see. I think that you've, you've hit that right upon the nail, right upon the head, that it is very much an internal state and that it's not dependent on things, it's not dependent on outside forces, that it's an internal state, and it's a way of generating a place to come from, a way of being, 
And as you cultivate this way of being, of gratitude, of fullness, of time, of energy, of life, of abundance that comes, I believe, in waves, greater and lesser amounts, but still there's like a set place in a wave below. The waves come up and go down, but there's a set place for the ocean where the water is, is level. And, and from this abundance, this, this abundance comes up and and over in waves and abundance and, and moves forward in undulating waves of, of, of abundance. We perceive and receive those waves each time with a renewal, kind of like with a season of renewal and of, of appreciating. Because as you've noted, it's, we're, we're human and we don't have a constant state of being. We get sad, we get happy, we get um, a little uh, under the weather. But the point is, if we can create our set point of coming from abundance in waves and seeing ourselves in, in, uh, in gratitude for what is, we have a, a way of being in the world that I think supports our humanness. Uh, and our, our ability to be abundant one with another. And I think if we want to surf the wave of abundance, Lovely. just like a surfer, uh-huh. the key to surfing mm-hmm. is the core. Yes. You develop your core uh-huh. through, Yes. I mean, physically. Yeah, the hara. Yes. Uh-huh. You, you know, you, through exercise and uh-huh. all of that. Uh-huh. That's what allows you to ride the wave, to surf the wave, to stay up, to stay uh-huh. balanced, mm-hmm. um, and to be able to, to ride that wave uh-huh. of it cr- as it crests. Yes. Uh-huh. And that, to me, says the same thing with abundance. Abundance comes from the core. Yes. And so if we want to surf the wave of abundance, then we have to connect with and develop our own core. Yes. Which again says abundance is uh-huh. going to come from within. Yes. Rather than from something without. Yes. Because without that core, we aren't going to recognize nor be able to enjoy uh-huh. the waves of abundance that uh-huh. are all around us at any moment. Yes. Yes. I, I totally see that as being uh, the reality uh, that that is. Uh, there is there is a wave of of abundance that comes from your core and it radiates out from your center and you surf that wave, you ride that wave of abundance and realize that that wave will come back to the set point and then rise again. That the waves are always there to be surfed. They are not going to stop. And that there always is. It reminds me of a story long time ago that I read in a Reader's Digest as a young child I read this and this gal was in a um, in a uh, prison uh, in uh, Russia and had very little to eat and was not able to get out of her state of being in prison and yet at the same time she was able to keep track of the seasons and when it came to Christmas in her portion of food that she was given, there was a morsel of gristle and fat in her meal for which she was grateful and realized that someone, somewhere, had put a little bit of something in there for her. And it put me in mind of the fact that 
no matter what, there is always something to be grateful for. And in the process of recognizing gratitude, we multiply it. I think we multiply gratitude by our acceptance of it and our returning that gratitude not only to the source of the giver, but also in overflowing for others. I think that um, the better course of wisdom, the better course, the better course of, of, of choice making is to choose and opt for gratitude, to always to recognize and to see what it is for which you can be grateful. And if you need to make a list, do that. Give yourself five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night to write down the things for which you're grateful for that day. I rested well. I woke early. I was able to speak to a person I care about. I was able to receive an act of love. And at the end of the day, to offer that up and say, wow, you know, so-and-so, that person was kind to me today. And I was surprised by that. I would not have expected that from that person. And that's a gift to me from them. And I'm grateful for that, that they shared that with me. Maybe they handed me a cup of tea when I was thirsty without my asking. Maybe they, maybe they stopped and stepped aside while I stepped into the elevator. Uh, but to be acknowledged and to be accepted and to be grateful for all that there is in the bounty of our lives, I think is a, a place to come from and a place of wisdom and a place of, of gratitude where we can ground ourselves in the source of all that is. And in that source of all that is, is an abundance and is an overflowing. And the cup is always full. The cup is always full. And from that fullness to overflowing, we can give and receive the constant pouring out and the constant pouring in and let it move. Let it be a wave. Let it, let it be there for people to serve. Let it be there for you to serve and for you to send forward and out into the world for others to receive and for others to send on its way. It's not meant to be dammed up. Hoarding is not an option. It is not there to be blocked. It is not there to be stopped up. It is there to be flowing like the undulating of the waves and the constant flow and give and take of life and the receiving and the giving of life that we speak life to others, that we give into the heart of others and that we receive from the heart of others and are grateful. And I would offer one other exercise that people might try for the next week, for the next month, for a moon cycle. Listen to what you say and anytime you start to say, I don't have blah, blah, blah. Find a way to re-say that as I have X. Mm -hmm. And whether it's something very mundane, like, well, I'm trying to make this recipe, but I don't have any cinnamon. Instead, find a way and think, not what do I not have, but what do I have? So you would say, 
well, I'm trying to make this recipe. Hmm. I have allspice and, you know, or what I often find people say, I don't have time to do blank. Then I would say, catch yourself and don't let the words I don't have come out of your mouth over the course of a day or a week or a mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead you would say something like, I have time to only do this. Uh-huh. Because even just changing the words mm-hmm. over and over again mm-hmm. starts to change the way that we think. Mm-hmm. And we start to develop an attitude of always thinking about focusing on and saying what we have rather than always being focused on and highlighting what we think we don't have. Yes, exactly. And when we wake in the morning and say, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh, I don't have cereal for breakfast. If we start the day with a sense of lack, if we start from a sense of don't have, we're already operating at a deficit. If we come and wake up in the morning and say, wow, golly, I got four hours of sleep last night. <laughs> I am so grateful. You know, and, and to be able to say, I'm not coming from a place of lack. I'm coming from a place of abundance. Because when you say very definitely to the point, I see, when you say, I don't have, you're coming from a place of lack and a place of deficiency and insufficiency. And abundance is all about sufficiency and having enough. And when you say, I don't have cinnamon, but I have allspice. Mmm, this is a new recipe. I've just created a new way. And so this is now something that I can say, wow, this was a gift. This was a gift not to have the cinnamon. Open the door to my experimenting with allspice. It says, ah, ah, you know, I kind of like that flavor. That's interesting. I didn't know I was going to have allspice today. Didn't know I was going to have allspice. I thought it was all cinnamon. And we don't want to come from a cinnamon place. (laughs) And I think that it reminds us that the true essence of abundance is in recognizing that we have what we need (laughs) and has nothing to do with whether we have what we want or not. Yes. Yes. Want and need are two separate things. And always, always, since we are creatures that have the possibility and the opportunity to choose, and we can always choose to make a different choice, if we choose to choose abundance, if we choose to choose coming from a place of having, then we can recreate and we can reshape our future and recreate and reshape our present and our now into a sense of fullness of time and abundance. Well, as we move to the close of our conversation, then I would like to ask you a question that I pose to each of my guests. And the first thing that I would like to ask you will be a question that a previous 
guest has asked without knowing who would be my next guest, and then what question you would like to pose to my next guest without knowing who that might be. Look forward to it. This sounds like a great deal of wonderfulness. So the question that my previous guest had was, why does your favorite color speak to you? Well, let me respond in this way. My colors are autumn, soft autumn colors. And the colors and the tone of the colors that speak to me, speak to me through their intensity and through their gentleness and the softness of the autumn colors. Green is one of my favorite colors in that spectrum. And uh, also brown. I've discovered that I don't have a lot of black in me. I have a lot of brown. I have a lot of brown that comes in brown supported by green and brown supported by yellows, soft autumn yellows and autumn greens. And um, so my color that speaks to me or why it speaks to me is because it's of my essence. They are my colors. My colors are soft autumn, and the tone and the intensity of those colors speak to me because they come from my spiritual state of being in fulfillment and being in the fullness of life and the fullness of time. And what question would you have for my next guest? Well, let me be devious. I think I'm going to ask a question around food. Right. What food feeds your spirit the most? All right. Excellent question. Especially during this time of year when we are surrounded by food of all sorts for many occasions. Yes. Yes. So that will bring us to the conclusion of our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I will express my gratitude for you having shared your abundant wisdom and knowledge with us around the topic of abundance. Thank you. And I hope that those listening will be able to take this and it will help them to perhaps have a slightly different experience during this holiday season and this holiday time of the year Mm -hmm. as they reflect on what you've shared and Mm -hmm. what you've had to say that hopefully might have just ever so gently shifted their perspective and way of thinking. So thank you very much for having joined us and offered this today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you again today.
You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Greetings, space cadets, and welcome to the November election uprising. They sang at the break of day. Start again. I heard them say, I am utterly dumbfounded. No, not really dumbfounded. I am utterly unsurprised at the results of the election. Um, as a student of history, We've seen these seasons of darkness before. And it was very clear, if you were paying attention, that much of what has occurred was spurned by unrelenting economic changes that left a good portion of people behind to such an extent that it would definitely empower administration, this backward-looking progressive. That said... I'm in no means throwing in my hat of support for this administration, to which I'm vehemently opposed. That's neither here nor there, <laughs> and potentially not relevant to the post. That said, I did have to chip my two cents regarding it. So on to the astrology. So there's some fascinating aspects that stand out from the nation's birth chart, synergized with the transits occurring on November 8th, the day of the election. Um, a focus on some of the longer-term transits implied by the outer planets, descriptive as to future directions that will emerge from this election, as well as the continuation of demographic and social transitions that have historical antecedents. The points of tension in the chart involve the sun making a square aspect to Pluto and transit. An ingress of transiting Pluto activating a natal Pluto conjunction, which will activate a sun opposition to Pluto, is also prominent in this election cycle. As, and as this is a longer range, range aspect, it will continue to reverberate long after the election result. The Jupiter conjunction to natal Saturn is also represented and poses a significant challenge being in the 10th house. The Uranus conjunction to natal Chiron position is also very prominent, and each of these aspects correlates well to a contemporary dilemma that the U.S. is currently facing. Finally, a long transit of Saturn across the Ascendant has led to massive changes in the national identity with demographic shifts that will continue well into the 21st century. Starting with the solar square, this election has proven to be the most contentious in recent U.S. history, potentially the most farcical. This touches off another highly volatile aspect forming in the national chart that will have long-term ramifications, namely the Pluto conjunction forming in the second house, which has to do with values and finance. A convergence of factors could potentially exacerbate this and turn into a situation of white-hot intensity, namely rising inequality, technological unemployment, and the first knock results of climate change, which will also exacerbate an increase in downward mobility. This constellation of determinants is ensuring that in the years ahead, 
ahead, we may see civil unrest that will dwarf the Occupy movement and demand the entire economic and social framework of the country undergo massive evolutionary change. I'm going to pretty much leave it at there, at that, right there. And if you're interested in learning more, be sure to check out the rest of the blog. Um, it's called Election Uprising, buyingpunkrockunicorn.com. Let's go ahead and go on to the different sign meanings for the month. We'll start, of course, with Aries, as we always do. And I'm calling this one the Seditioners. Aries faces an interesting dilemma in this election. Namely, that the ram has watched consistently as the government has chipped away at civil liberties one paper cut at a time. Aries now faces the question of what happens when all of your elders are stupid. Your government has become an oligarchy and revolt is the only act of integrity left. Aries has figured it gets really pissed off and then starts to act. It is at least what is most advisable given the circumstances. With the November supermoon falling in your sign, you are certainly empowered symbolically to do so. I would counsel that you need to carefully plan your strategy to maximize the Mars transit through Capricorn, which lends itself to careful consideration. Strategy is everything in these turbulent and highly politicized times. Aries can have a tendency to go in head first, horns raging. I suggest that you do that, but pick the target carefully. Taurus, economic heresy. Taurus has been acutely aware of the idea of political economy. The concept that political theory and economic necessity are inextricably linked and that the policy landscape often reflects the prevailing economic realities. The bull is deeply pained by the rising inequality they see all around them. Taurus knows capitalism cannot redeem itself based solely on its basic assumptions and has given rise to cyclic consumption, neoliberalism, and planned obsolescence, all of which are anathema to the continuance of life. This is an economics of survival and one that raises the standard of living for everyone and truly eliminates poverty. Taurus, do keep an eye on your resources. Only find ways that you can put your economic heresy. Gemini bipartisan psychosis Gemini understands duality very intimately it often deals in the paradox of being two people at the same time a sort of Jekyll and Hyde tension that the US a Gemini sun nation often expresses this paradox comes as no surprise to Gemini Gemini, of course, has mastered how to get its doppelganger to cooperate with its more socially accepted, acceptable representative. In a word, the twins get along even with a difference in opinion. It is exactly this sentiment that Gemini embodies in these times of political social media echo chambers and an inability to come to a policy consideration by working across the Gemini, November is the month where you are tasked with addressing the significant divides in your life, whether we are discussing the national fracture, which you clearly recognize as a kind of social madness, or the ideological differences that keep you playing wing playlists to punish your asshole neighbors who keep you up late with crapless conversations. As a socially aware being with a diplomatic streak, I'm sure you can broker at least a truth. Answer. 
fractured relation. The United States has always been a divided nation on a great deal of many issues. The point is that cancer has an acute awareness of the subtle and implicit bifurcations that exist. Cancer has the ability to feel these on an emotional level. And from this level of deep feeling can begin to dismantle the structures that continue to perpetuate these cycles of history. In the questioning of implicit biases and the blind spots that are brought to our attention from those who experience the oppression, there can begin a process of reprogramming our unconscious drives to better reflect the social realities of our era and a need to radically rearrange our social contracts to create a society that demands meaningful participation from all factions. This is work that all the signs should be engaged in, albeit cancer is more attuned to it as they tend to have a better read of people's concerns. Another dimension that cancers and others of privilege will be attuned to is the need to lower their own volume, listen to the voices of those who experience a daily litany of discrimination, amplify their voices in the cultural dialogue. It is big work, but with cancer's natural, natural attenuation to understanding the power that culture holds over us, they play an integral role in the disruption of the current status quo, especially as this relates to political Leo, civil disobedience. The U.S. presently and in various periods of its history has been an oligarchic system, one in which a financial elite is favored over the concerns of the majority. Why am I mentioning this to Leo? It's because leadership falls under the symbol set of your sign, and so there is a unique attunement to what good leadership actually is. Leo, I am imploring for you to be one of these rare and few leaders. To understand that it is a matter of leading by example at a time when so much of the system has been degraded by corporatization, revolt, revolt and civil disobedience have become the only viable strategy for calling out illegitimate laws and social customs which entrench oppressive systems into place. Atonement, atonement for a history of a long history of bad leadership. Leos, you are tasked with being the queens of our hearts and clearing the way for justice to prevail. You alone understand that justice is not an action, it's a state of being. You are just or you are not, with the same finality as Virgo, system failure. There are those that say the system is broken. That is why it is failing. This seems a great deal disingenuous in consideration that historically the system is failing us because it is a flawed system since its exception, since its inception, as it was not designed to address the reality of our pluralistic society and emerged from a time when certain forms of oppression. The system was bound to fail because it was designed for only a small fraction of the populace. This is where Virgo comes into play, finely attuned to the cycles of nature and to the concerns of the rank and file. It certainly correlates to the symbol set, which has to do with practical concerns of governance creating a system of operations that efficiently provides for everyone. Virgo is devoted to designing fair and just systems that serve the masses and is generally opposed to any type of political arrangement that favors or creates elites which control the levers of society. They are, in, in essence, the unsung libertarian socialists of the Zodiac. More personally, Virgo is spending November exploring new intellectual horizons and understanding how some of this 
how some of the disempowering intersections that they have with a failed system can become the impetus for developing a more revolutionary spirit. In these turbulent times, we could all use a dose of equanimity to face the chaos of Libra, civil disequilibrium. Civil society in the U.S. has been under siege with the rise of neoliberal philosophies in the 1980s when Reagan declared his mourning in America again. It has now become the dominant economic model in the global context as even the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank utilize its aid programs. The problem, of course, is one that emerges from political economy. The idea that the dominant economic shapes the related policy that defines social customs. This naturally leads to the area of communication, a particularly salient issue for Libra, which is experiencing a mercury transit through this sector of the sky. It will be an issue close to you at this time. In particular, it will be communication surrounding the of justice and how they concur to make a civil society actually civil. There can be no civility without justice. Communicate these issues far and wide. Wordsmith Libras will be particularly on fire this month with Mercury imparting loquaciousness with words. With a forceful communicative style, my fair Libras, you are asked to be the voice of a restorative justice that will facilitate this. Scorpio! Revolutionary tendencies. Scorpio is a, is a fair bit grittier than her sister Libra. The, sale, the scales are the silk cloth covering the turgid clitoral erection of the scorpion. Scorpio being acquainted with the darker side of life, well aware of the dynamics of power, and what's more, the insidious ways they are abused, used to support dubious ends. Scorpio wants to be, wants to play a new game called Total transformation. Scorpio, your job this November is to read the riot act on abuses of power as you see them, whether they are seen in the highest offices of the land or in your own neighborhood. I want you to activate your signs polarity and yell bullshit when you smell it. In an election cycle where an, where an orangutan tyrant is a serious contender, we could use a massive calling out of unbridled power. It's time to muzzle the dogs. Sagittarius, Governance Crisis. Earlier this year, the Guardian News Service in the UK ran an article called Building Our Way to Hell, which discussed a global gentrification crisis, which is a direct result of weak government, or an an outright selling of government. Sagittarius is the symbol bearer of a global effort experiencing a profound pseudo-trend lasting to 2003. Is undergoing a sea change in its verbal manifestation. Sagittarius, your November task is to figure out what your personal role in the transformation of global culture is. As the bearer of philosophy, religion, and foreign affairs, this is your natural fortune. You are comfortable in a multicultural context, recognize the human commonality that transcends dogmatic differences. The world can integrate while respecting differences, which brings us. To Capricorn, business as unusual. Capricorn is highly ambitious and understands social institutions. It is largely because its symbol falls under the architecture of society. All of our social institutions are currently failing the majority of them. 
Capricorn has a unique opportunity to turn all of this around as it is the symbol of social infrastructure. It is also preparing on-ramp debut of Pluto into Capricorn in 2023, which will further challenge this, uh, this sign to step up to be evolutionary catalyst Capricorn is compelled now to become a strange attractor, a chaotic perturbation which shifts an integrated system like society. In a word, nothing short of a social revolution is being called for. Calling for Capricorn to spend November figuring out the practicalities of shaking up the status quo, initiating a long-term vision around the subject. I can assure that when 2023 rolls around and you are in the straits of the Pluto transit, you won't have time to strategize, to strategize. So planning ahead is wise and generally one of the strong suit. Which brings us to Aquarius, Prometheus rising. This entire election cycle has been too long and ridiculous for almost all of us. It has demonstrated how much our system of government governance is a joke and masquerades as a democracy. And in fact, it's nothing more than a plutocracy with a veneer of liberty. Aquarius is being reminded why they spent, spent nights awake reading Bookchin, De Bouvier, Kropotkin, and Wollstone's craft. It is this farce that has convinced them of their avowed anarchist stamp. There will be a strong impetus for a continued push in the direction of a human scale and ecologically aware policy framework. There are too many as existential crises we face as a species for business as usual to have any. Nothing short of a reiteration in 21st century terms of the 1950s social revolution. We are on the verge of similar Promethean times and groundbreaking society. Humanity finds itself in the twilight years of the age of Pisces, defined as the March equinox beginning in the sign of Pisces. It has been an age when we have collided with monumental violence in our confrontation with Collective factors that us. As we move along the cusp between ages, the assumptions of the Piscean ethic are breaking down. Priests are replaced by scientists, our needs are met through technology and charity, and our society moves increasingly towards a secularism and vague agnostic mysticism which could lay the groundwork for future intergenerational conflicts. I mention this as you, dear Pisces, are the emblem bearers of this way still have much part to the emerging flavor of Just as science has, has epistemological edges that it cannot go beyond, you remind us that even as we move into an age of rationality, that there are salient mysteries we can solve. November is the month that invites Pisces to sink deeper into their unknown. Let's do a quick overview of the moons for November. The very, very exciting super moon occurring November 14, 2016. The November full moon is a rare cosmic event that occurs only every 70 years. Occurring in 70-year cycles when the sun, moon, and earth align on the perigree arc of the moon orbit, it produces what is known as a super moon or perigree moon which makes the full moon appear 14% bigger from our vantage point on Earth. This event will not occur again until November of 2034. The supermoon will fall under the auspices of Aries and will signify a time when radical new directions can be pursued and new pioneering strategies are initiated that this time will not result. 
The moon will form a square to Mars and Capricorn, creating a possible confusion between instinctual motivation and assertiveness and initiative. To balance the conflict requires aligning intrinsic emotional tides with the action. There is a profound sense bordering on an almost psychological turbulence to initiate something groundbreaking. It can certainly be argued that the political milieu we find ourselves embedded in desperate need for change. Forgive your perfect offering. That's a wrap, Space Cadets. I will see you all next month. Same stellar channel, same stellar time. Be sure to check me out on... The Sidereal-ist under Prometheus Jones. And I'm also on Facebook under Prometheus Jones Astrologer. I do offer readings if you are interested. If you would like one, please hit me up on Prometheus Jones the Astrologer on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you all wonderful star people next month. how the light gets in That's how the light gets in That's how the light gets in Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with Heisey. A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Heisey is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact High C at tarotbyhighc.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com. And I'd just like to say thank you one more time to everyone during the show today, uh, to Tino Kalenda for his insights on astrolo- from the astrological side of things, to my guest, uh, today, Bertita Grabner for her insights and wisdom and challenging, in some ways, thoughts regarding abundance. Uh, of course, to Linda Wiley for her monthly contribution to help us live in a more holistic way, body, mind, and spirit. And for our reading portion today, I thought I would just pull a couple of cards to ask What is abundance and how can we best recognize and live in abundance at this particular time in our lives? And I was struck by the card that came up because when I asked what is abundance, the card that appeared is the star card, but it appeared reversed, meaning it came up upside down. 
what's happening around this time and because of that is there are feelings of heaviness and perhaps even darkness by a lot of people, but that's because there's a lot of things that have been buried that are being brought to the surface that we are being challenged to confront, to finally deal with, to perhaps process and hopefully engage in a healing process around, which may not be easy because these are probably things that we have tried to be in denial about or that we have spent a lot of time and energy trying to ignore in order to not have to go there, to not have to look at or deal with those things. Be those things within ourselves personally, uh, especially there are probably things coming up around relationships. So there is a lot of that going on, creating a great deal of intensity and is really starting to reveal the patterns that we fall into that are not healthy, that are perhaps creating the kind of things or situations or life overall that we keep saying we don't want, but we ignore or are not willing to deal with the things that contribute to causing that to continue to happen over and over again. So it's not an easy time, but it is a very necessary time if we want to see real transformation and change come about. So with the reversed star card coming up, when asked the question, what is abundance at this time for us? The reversal of that is, for me, about having faith and trust during the dark time. Think of the star card like a light at the end of the tunnel. So the reversal is when we're in the dark part of the tunnel. We can't see where we came from, and we can't see where it's going to end. We're just kind of in that middle part that is completely dark, and we can't make a U-turn. We can't turn around. Wouldn't it be interesting to see a train try to do that in a tunnel? Um, and so if we think that this is where we're at, individually, collectively, that one, we have to just keep moving forward, one foot in front of the other. And abundance may just mean that we have the ability to put one foot in front of the other and to just allow ourselves to trust that at some point, one foot in front of the next will eventually bring us to the light at the end of the tunnel. But if we give up now because we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, we'll be missing out on where this process, where this journey, where these things that are coming up that we now need to deal with and heal have to offer and have to take us to. Uh, so there, it's almost like there's abundance in waiting for us, but we have to just get to where that abundance is rather than needing it to be here now in order to not give up. Also, the star card tends to be a very healing card, and the reversal of it, reversals can point back to us, can be very internal as a process. So there is a sense that the star card reversed may be saying, right now, our abundance is found in focusing on our own healing process, because there is an abundance of what we need to be doing, what we need to be healing, how we need to be taking care of ourselves. And instead of focusing on worrying about or trying to help other people so much that we neglect ourselves. And that can often become a way of us denying or ignoring the things that we need to deal with in our own lives. There's an abundance of things that are coming up for us that we need to focus on. So let us 
be willing to simply stay there and to do that right now in order to move to something new, into a new phase, allow that transformation to take place rather than continuing to put it off because we focus outward as a way of ignoring, denying, or not dealing with the, our own personal things that are coming up. So certainly, you know, we want to hear that abundance is all about, oh, there's going to be money falling from the sky or something like that. But really, I think that the reverse star card is saying at this moment, there is an abundance of issues and things that are coming to the surface that have been long under the surface and long buried. And we need to be willing to acknowledge those, focus on those, work on those, heal those for ourselves because that will then move us to a new phase of abundance and allow us to see and experience other things and other forms of abundance as a result of having done that and opened up the space for that abundance to come in. And then as a follow-up to that, when I asked, how can we best see, experience, or work with abundance right now? The Nine of Cups came up. Now, the fact that it's the number nine reiterates some of what I was just saying because nine is a number of completion, completion of phases and cycles. It's also a number that represents patterns, habits, tendencies, cycles that we tend to have a pattern around. And when a nine appears, it says there are things that are ready to be brought to completion and closure, that it's time for us to recognize the patterns and the cycles that we fall into that perhaps don't serve us anymore, that perhaps are not healthy with us, or that we keep complaining are happening over and over again, but we neglect or simply don't want to look at our part in recreating them over and over again versus we fall into the mode of blaming other people and other things for the way things are because we don't want to see or acknowledge or accept that we also have some responsibility in that creation process. Nine of Cups with the reverse star card also may indicate that there are that we're on the verge of something new. You know, Nine of Cups is very interesting because Nine of Cups is a card traditionally uh, of happiness, of wish fulfillment. Um, and the star card can sometimes be that too. The star card can be about wish fulfillment and getting what we wish for. Think of like wishing on a star. Um, both of those would say that we have to be very careful about what we're wishing for because we're going to get what we are wishing for and we want to make sure we're very clear about that. Nine of cups, nine tends to be a number of me. Ten is a number of me in the world around me and others. So nine Nine of Cups showing up here, again, reiterates that for the moment, Cups is water. So for the moment, we need to go into the depths of our own psyche, of our own subconscious, of our own stuff, and be willing to look at and deal with what is coming up to the surface there, because things that are coming up, things that are happening are key to what is impacting our sense and our ability to experience personal happiness, as well as may indicate why we may feel that what we keep hoping and wishing for doesn't seem to happen, which is going to bring us back around to having to look at our part in the perpetuation and continuation of patterns and habits and cycles, rather than simply looking outside of us to try to find some sort of external person or thing to blame or to be the cause 
so that we can simply fall into victim mode. And so it's kind of interesting that the reverse star cards to me would say, be careful not to fall into martyr mode. And the nine of cups would say to be careful not to fall into victim mode in some senses. Um, so hopefully that helps in terms of being able to uh, think about abundance in a different way during this time and to recognize the abundance of opportunity for recognizing the things that are coming up and to have the opportunity to work through the abundance of healing opportunities, of opportunities for change and transformation in ourselves and in our lives, as well as to pinpoint the abundance of habits and patterns that we may fall into that are getting in the way of the kind of happiness we may want for ourselves and in our lives so that we can be willing to start working on those, changing those, bringing those to completion in order to open up the space for the new to come in. So hopefully that offered a perspective on abundance to add to the many perspectives and that were shared during the show here today. And I want to thank you very much for listening. I uh, hope that you enjoyed the show. And I will look forward to joining you here again next month for Revolution in December. And until then, I wish you a blessed and very abundant November. And may there be blessings and abundance and surprises for you around every corner. Thank you for listening. And we will be with you next time. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. We hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. Please join us next time for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lizney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. This is Deb Caracella. Thank you for joining us.